we, we begin with a quiz. What Old Testament text is quoted most often in the New Testament? You know how the New Testament writers sometimes will refer back to the Old Testament, either quoting word for word or else just sort of an echo and allusion. Which one were they constantly drawn back to? Anybody? This is not a trick question. You have heard this text recently. You heard it about 60 seconds ago. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. Psalm 110. Okay, that wasn't such a great start to our quiz. Let's try number two. How many times is it quoted? I hear 110. Other votes? It's hard to say because some, you know, they don't, they didn't quote word for word like with our exactness, although sometimes it does that, but it's alluded to or quoted exactly probably about 15 times. Our Lord Jesus quoted it multiple times about himself. Hebrews quotes it multiple times. Peter quoted it on the day of Pentecost when he was preaching. They just kept coming back to it. Next question. Short answer, short essay question. Why? Why, why did you know? Why, this is the number one. Why? What? What captivated them? What? What was so fascinating? What? Similar to that question, why did Charles Spurgeon, he was a great preacher of the 1800s, why did Spurgeon call this psalm the crown of all psalms and the soul of our faith? What was the big deal about this psalm? The soul of our faith. Here's why. The New Testament writers went back to it. Here's why Spurgeon was so gaga about it. Here's why. Because in this psalm, we see something unexpected, a great revelation, and it is this. Jesus is God's appointed priest king. He is God's appointed priest hyphen king, priest king. In Jesus, these two roles, priest and king, came together. And this was unknown in the ancient world. If you were back in the day of, uh, you know, this psalm when it was written, uh, you know, way back, and if you talked about a person being a priest king, that would sound to them like an oxymoron. Do you know the term oxymoron? Raise your hand if you know the term oxymoron. Okay, look around for somebody whose hand is not raised and explain it to them. You have 12 seconds. One, two, three, go. (laughs) Time is up. An oxymoron is a very brief, sometimes, oftentimes, two words uh, contradiction. Like jumbo shrimp. Or black light. Somebody has said congressional action. (laughs) 
putting together two, you know, uh, black, blackness and light, and putting together two things that don't seem to go together. It, it, you've got priest and king. It's like putting together in the same person Mother Teresa and General George Patton from World War II, the great tank commander. Mother Teresa and General Ulysses S. Grant from, uh, from uh, the Civil War. You, just, you don't expect these to go together. A saint and a warrior. But this text shows us that Jesus is God's appointed priest king. See, the king ruled, right? The king ruled in God's name. The king executed justice. The king punished sinners. The king, you know, exerted justice over lawbreakers. The priest prayed for sinners, interceded for sinners, offered sacrifice. And Jesus is the priest king. As I say, the concept was uh, pretty much unknown in the ancient world. Well, hang on, hang on. There was one fellow, there was one fellow who brought together these two rules. Very mysterious fellow in the Old Testament. He's alluded to in our psalm. His name was Melchizedek. 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 He's mentioned in only three verses in the book of uh, Genesis. But after he was just mentioned, we don't know much about him. Uh, Psalm 110 picks up on him and Hebrews picks up on him. There was something, there's something about him because he was a priest king. Here's the passage from Genesis. Abram, Abraham, returned from defeating Kedorlaomer and the kings allied with them. Then Melchizedek, king, all right, king of Salem, that later became Jerusalem, Jerusalem, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. What does that sound to you like, bread and wine? He was priest of God Most High. King, priest, he blessed Abram. Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. He is king. He is priest. And that's all we know about him. Mysterious figure. It says he brought out bread and wine. He blessed Abram. Abram gave him a tenth. Abram tithed to him. I suppose he was tithing to God, but he, he gave it to Melchizedek, the priest king. Here's an actual uh, photograph that was taken of that event. <laughs> can you see? Can you see my uh, my laser pointer? Whoops, sorry. Can you see my laser pointer? Not very well, huh? Melchizedek is on the left. You see he's holding out bread and wine. Abram is on the right. Abram has a headache, I think. <laughs> Receiving from this priest king, giving to this priest king, 
a tithe, 10% of what he had uh, captured after waging war. Okay, so this guy named Melchizedek carried the sword and the sacrificial knife. He wore a king's crown and priest's robes. As a king, he ruled. As a priest, he served. As a king, he punished lawbreakers. As a priest, he prayed for lawbreakers. As a king, he ruled with justice. As a priest, he justified sinners. Melchizedek is a type, a picture, a symbol of our Lord Jesus. And that is what captured the hearts and the minds of the New Testament authors and Spurgeon and all these people. Jesus is the priest king. All right, let me show that to you then in our text. You have your Bible open, Psalm 110. Look at verse 4. Verse 4, Psalm 110 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. In what sense was Jesus a priest? Well, you know, in the Old Testament, the priest would sacrifice animals and, and, and make grain offerings and pour out drink offerings and intercede for the people. That's what Jesus did. But he didn't sacrifice an animal. He gave his own body, didn't he? A priest who offered himself for the sins of the people. We're going to remember that in a few minutes, aren't we? See this down here? Right here? Symbols of what Jesus has done in his priestly role of justifying sinners. And God, his Father, the the great Lord said, Well done. I accept your sacrifice. I make an oath. I swear your work will stand for all eternity. This single sacrifice you have done, it's good for people past, present, and future. You are a priest forever, like Melchizedek. When I say uh, priest, you you may import your modern concept of priest, uh, you know, when you hear that. Um, You may think of a priest who uh, is busy making sacrifices, like in the Old Testament. The priest is over here, he's, you know, he's grabbing the lamb and getting it, doing it, he's, he's uh, offering sacrifice, and he's saying, come on people, line up here, and he's busy, he's, he's offering sacrifice. He was never able to sit down and rest, because the people are sinners, and sacrifice for sin must be made. But Hebrews chapter 10 says, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God. Every priest stands daily, stands daily, offering sacrifice. Come here, everybody, line up here. Come, uh, get those animals in order. And who, who's next? And, and did you pay the, the, the temple, the shekel offering? And come on, everybody. He's working, he's working. Jesus 
made one sacrifice himself for all time and it is finished. No more scurrying about Higgs and line up his animals. Come on, come on, come on. The people keep sinning. We've got to keep offering this. He offered himself. And God said, I accept it. Sit at my right hand. The Bible teaches, Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus is a priest. We sing about it. We've sung about it quite a bit this morning. One song we didn't sing, but you know it. My sin upon his shoulder. How can I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Second truth in Psalm 110. He is a king. Yes, he is a priest. He is a priest hyphen king. Did you see this as we, as we read it? This actually is the, the main thing that the text uh, emphasizes Jesus is the king. Look at verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's an interesting image. I will make your enemies a footstool. And you know what a footstool is? It's a little stool you put your feet on. Or it's sort of like a lazy boy, you know, the recliner. You put your feet up. I will make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Can you see it? Can you see the, uh, the king there? What's, what are his feet? His feet are on a footstool. And here's a line drawing from another uh, you know, ancient carving. I will make your enemies, (laughs) interesting image, a footstool for your feet. It means you are the king. You have authority. They are under you. They are under your foot. The Lord says to my Lord, sit here at my right hand because you will conquer completely in that day. There's a second image, and it's the scepter image. We have the footstool image. We also have the scepter. We understand the scepter is a symbol of of being a king, right? It's in verse 2. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. A scepter is the uh, symbol of the king. It's like a staff, or it's almost sort of like a club almost. The Bible is teaching here in Psalm 110, through images, Jesus is the king. 
Verse 5 is very uh, uh, dire and straightforward. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. Verse 6, he will judge the nations, heaping up the dead, crushing the rulers of the whole earth. Jesus is God's appointed priest king. Okay, that is the truth of our text. Now may I go a little bit deeper. I want to ask a question that may nibble and niggle inside your heart and mind. And it is this question. Is it true? Is Jesus really king? I mean, you look around... What kind of kingdom is this? Evil is still flourishing. In what sense is he putting his enemies under his feet and scepter and ruling and crushing and doing away with all... Is it true? Where is this great kingdom? You may recall our teaching a few weeks ago on lament. And you may be thinking, this world is not perfect. This world is not heaven. This world is fallen and broken. In what sense is Jesus king? The answer, I think, or at least a partial answer, can come to us um, by learning a phrase from theology. It's a simple phrase, but it's an important one, and it is this. The kingdom is already but not yet. The kingdom is already present. It is not yet fully present. Jesus came, and even before Jesus, John the Baptist, who, you know, announced, you know, the forerunner, make straight the paths, you know, get ready for Jesus, he's coming. They announced the kingdom of God has arrived. Woohoo! Everybody repent, you know, it's coming. The kingdom has arrived in Jesus. What did Jesus say at the end of his life? Matthew 28. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. All authority. The kingdom is arriving. The kingdom is here. Jesus taught like a little mustard seed. Mustard seeds are very, very tiny, but it's it's growing, growing. Like a big tree. Birds of the air are lodging in its branches. The kingdom of God is silently infiltrating like yeast in a batch of dough. You know, it just, it just kind of, you know, grows and infiltrates and puffs up. The kingdom is already here. And you and I know that to be true. People are being converted and coming to Christ through the ministry of missionaries like the one we just prayed for. In this church, people are turning from unrighteousness. They're finding hope and peace and salvation and light in Christ. The kingdom is arriving. You and I, I hope, are involved in good deeds. We're trying to participate with God and put down evil and give money to these people that need it and serve the poor. And the kingdom is here. The great movements of, some of the great movements of history, like um, abolishing slavery, 
slavery. Remember William Wilberforce in Great Britain in, uh, what, the 1800s? That was fueled by Christianity. The kingdom is here. It is producing God's will on earth. But it's not fully here. Can I get a witness? There is still murder and exploitation and broken families and people martyred for the faith and heresy, false teaching and earthquakes and tsunamis and the last enemy, death still rides his pale horse. The kingdom is already here. It is not yet fully here. But we have this word, this word from Psalm 110, which says, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until... The kingdom fully comes. It is already here. It is not yet fully here. One day, it is our hope, it is our faith, one day we believe He will avenge the martyrs. He will put down evil dictators. He will heal our diseases. He will silence false teachers. He will humble all those who worship idols. Every knee will bow. Jesus is the king. He has a scepter. Not yet. Not yet. Next question. What's he waiting for? What's to be gained by this 2,000 year delay? That's a good question. I'm not sure I know the full answer to that, but I'll give you a partial answer. He is patiently, very patiently, (laughs) giving us time to repent, to volunteer to come under his kingship. One day we will have no choice. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. But right now, he's patiently preaching the gospel, having the Holy Spirit work in our hearts, using people out there to do right. Look at the uh, scriptural teaching on this. This is from uh, First Peter, a uh, Second Peter. The heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing: with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, <laughs> and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. He is patiently waiting for the people of this earth to turn to him. He is waiting for the tribes of Cambodia to turn to him. He is waiting for the students in the Chinese universities to turn to him. He is waiting for the businessmen in central London to turn to him. He's waiting for the families in the barrios of Mexico City to turn to him. He's waiting for the people of Lexington, Massachusetts to willingly, to repent, to turn, to believe while they still have the chance. Last question. So how should we respond? Knowing that Jesus is the priest and king, knowing that there's coming a day when he will exert that scepter and that rod of iron and that kingly authority. Okay, so, so how do I live now? What should I do? Verse 3 tells us, Your troops, that's you and me, will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. It's a very difficult, very difficult verse. Not exactly sure how to translate it, but I think the basic idea is, here's a literal translation, your people, it says your troops, it's your followers, your people our willingness itself. Your people are volunteers. Your people realize that you're the great priest king and they fall in line with that truth. Your people are willingness itself. Your people submit. And that answers the question how we should respond right now. We should willingly submit. Serve Him with gladness. Volunteer to give him our money, our time, our expertise, our relationships. Willingly do it with joy. There is coming a day when we will willingly or unwillingly, we will fall in line with that. Right now, he's patiently waiting. He's calling. He's wooing. <laughs> and so we respond with joyful submission. Question. Are you doing so? Are there little areas in your life or big areas of your life that, hey, hands off, Jesus, no way, man, this is me. I am the master of my universe. I, I'm sitting on the throne. I, I'm cool. It's cool about how you're the priest. I don't know about that king thing. As I'm speaking, or I'm teaching from the Word of God, I'm exhorting you. Is the Lord, the Holy Spirit, bringing to your mind areas? You know, this is how the Holy Spirit works. It's one, one of the primary ways. It's through the Word of God. Is He talking to you? Is there an area of willingness, lack of willingness, shrinking back? Hold your hands off! He is patiently waving. 
for us to repent. To find our life in Him, our joy in Him. We're going to do it someday. Why not get with the program now? He is the high priest of heaven who forgives our sins. He is the high king of heaven who demands our loyalty. And that is the soul of our faith. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Lord. He is priest. He is king. All right, let's have a moment of silence where you can make your own prayer to God. You can contemplate what this means for you. And then we will continue with our service.